Welcome to the Rural Pastor Podcast with your host, Andy Addis, and special guest, Mark Clifton. We plant the seeds in the ground, though the fields have long been brown. Lord, when will your harvest come in? I'm giving all I've got to give in the place where I've been sent. But will my labor make much difference in the end? Will no one ever know? Sometimes I feel so all alone. Like the prophet Jeremiah, you may be the one to go to the dying and the broken with a message of hope to that church on the corner of that forgotten little town to a room of empty peers where his love can still be found. You may never know of all the seeds you sow. But it just takes one willing soul to make him know. Well, welcome back to another edition of the Rural Pastor Podcast. I am so thankful that you are joining with us at the beginning of this journey. My name is Andy Addison. I am a, a rural multi-site pastor uh, in a network of churches in Kansas. I have the pleasure of being the volunteer rural strategist for the North American Mission Board Replant Team. And with me today is Mark. Mark, please introduce yourself. Hey, I'm Mark Clifton. I also am in Kansas, and I'm the uh, bivocational pastor of a rural single-site church. And sometimes we don't even have quite enough for a single-site. But anyway, we... <laughs> yes, yes. No, we, we, we have enough for a single-site. Hey, we are multi-site now because uh, we use a school across the street for one Sunday school class. So, hey, there you go. I got I just thought about that. We. <laughs> We, uh, we we have a Sunday school class that meets in the school building across the street. So we're multi-site. So we're, there you go. We're going to do right, a whole great. episode then on ethical metrics is what we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. I didn't realize that. It, yeah, what a relationship you're building with them too. But but not only are it's you the, the, the Bivo pastor there, you're Bivo because uh, I would love everybody to know a little bit more if they don't know you about your role with the North American Mission Board. What is it that you do? I lead the team. I'm the senior director of the revitalization and replant team of the North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, of which we have 47,000 churches, and of which at any given time, 7,000 of those churches are within three years of closure. Uh, Southern Baptists close about seven or 800. We don't close them. They close on their own. Mm. Uh, but we realize the closure of seven or 800 churches every year in our denomination. And our team is tasked with the, uh, the the job of making sure that doesn't happen. And these churches find new paths to life and new ways to live again and replant themselves. And so I work in replanting and in church revitalization and also been given the lane of rural ministry as well. 33 million Americans live in rural America. I was born and raised in rural America. I live in rural America. My church is in a town of 400 people, and I love rural America. And it is, in many ways, a tremendously overlooked mission field. Right, Andy? Uh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I was on a call with uh, another one of our team yesterday, Kyle Bierman, uh, Dr. Kyle, that is. Uh, and, uh, and he, yeah, I noticed he, si he signs all of his emails with Dr. Kyle. Well, wouldn't you? Stats. Wouldn't you? If you I mean, uh, you, you and I, we, we ain't doctors <laughs> just yet, but uh, <laughs> I'm hoping for an honorary uh, you know, associate degree I'm, at some point. I'm, I'm barely a reverend, so it's okay. <laughs> but but Kyle used that same statistic about the number of churches that are closing, but he said that the breakout on that is that about 9% of those are rural. And you wouldn't think that's many, but when you do the math on that, that means at least one rural church every week is closing. And in rurality, when that happens, very often that means that the Southern Baptist emphasis, the evangelical work of an area, sometimes 40, 50, 60 minutes drive work, is now devoid of any 
uh, of that kind of influence. And so the closing of a church in rural America has a broader impact because there are fewer uh, in in sparsely uh, populated areas. And, and again, so thank you for what you guys do on the replant team, revitalization team, because everyone that has lost anywhere, uh, like you've said before, a dying church doesn't bring glory to God, but a revitalized church not only brings glory to God, but it brings new life to a community. Well, we will talk about this in a future podcast, but uh, the little town where I'm at, Linwood, Kansas, mm. had a Methodist church and a Baptist church. Well, the Methodist church already closed its doors. And then during COVID, the Baptist church voted to sell their building and close the doors. And uh, so that would have meant this town of 400 people would not have had a church. And there would have been a church for miles and miles and miles, not mm. any church of any kind at all. Uh, we went in and replanted that church, but still, yeah, we can talk about that at a later date. But when a rural church closes, it may be the only real ministry in that community. And not only that, it's it's a gathering place. It's it's part of the identity of the community. It, it's a yeah. tragic thing when that happens. That's it, another story for another day. It's though. the life of the community, and that's exactly why we're doing this. Actually, not not exactly why we're doing this. We love the rural church, and we want to make sure they're uh, they're valued. But more importantly, this podcast is for uh, the rural pastor. That's what we call it, the rural pastor yep. podcast. We want to pour into, partner with, and pat on the back the rural pastor because we know that what you're doing is important. Now, we started a journey of few weeks ago about the big three in rurality. Do, do we know if that's a real word or not? Rurality? We kick it around like it, it is now Yeah, because we now. use it because we use it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The big just three. Like, just like I, I used to say, I, I call it the normative size church, a church of less than 150 in Southern Baptist life. I you did invent normative. that, didn't you? But, you know, Dr. Tom Rayner always reminds me that's the wrong use of the word normative. Well, and I always remind him that I don't really care if he thinks that. That's I'm using it anyway. Yeah, my uh, my my graduate studies were on semantics, and so I picked up this mm. little phrase. My wife hates it. She goes, "That's not the right. That's not the right word for that." I go, "Do you know what I meant?" She said, "Yes." And I go, "Then it's the it, right word if you know it." Oh, that's what that's what I'll tell Tom next time he says that. That's perfect. I'll write that down. That's pretty good. <laughs> All right. So the big three in rurality are uh, vocational identity about the differences between whether you're full-time, part-time, bivo. If you didn't catch that, that was the last episode. I thought it was a great discussion. You got to really hear what Mark says on that. Second, uh, and what we're going to talk about today is isolation. And then we'll get to the issue of low resources in rurality. But this week we're focusing on this huge issue of isolation. And uh, and it's probably not what, what most people think of isolation. It's not like Tom Hanks on the island uh, movie Castaway. You know, you're not talking to a, a beat. You, know, you don't have Wilson set up on the the desk in your office uh, where, where you're trying. It's a different kind of isolation. But but to, to open the door to this, what's the loneliest you've ever been? And before I ask you, Mark, I'm just going to confess, Mike, because when I think of lonely, I have this one overly dramatic thing that, that I remember in my life. When I was in the first grade, I have very few memories of first grade. But when I was in the first grade, we lived on Broadway in one of those old homes that was made out of reclaimed metal from World War II. And oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know what I'm talking about? They're just these I, metal I do. squares. The, wall, the walls were even metal and you can Absolutely. hang pictures with magnets, right? Absolutely. That's it. And I love that. That is, <laughs> I, is so cool. They made them out of old, old factories where they made airplanes. That's and it. They're going to cover the country with them and you'll see them every once in a while. And that, that is so awesome. That was a cool selling point that you could hang your pictures with magnets. I well, remember. <laughs> here's the issue. By the time we were in it, it was no longer a cool selling point. <laughs> It was it was where we could live, but we were living in this town on broad uh, living in on the street in Broadway in Great Bend, Kansas, and there was not I'm not kidding you there was not a kid under the age of 15 within two city blocks of e- either way in this rural country town. My only friend was, she had to be 900 years old, a woman across the street who taught me how to make <laughs> whistles out of uh, the greenery on a green onion, right? Sat on her front porch. And I remember sitting in the dirt, just playing in the dirt all by myself, bemoaning the fact that I am the only kid in this town, which was just not true. But it was when you're when there's no one to ride bikes with, when there was no one near, man, that was, I, I just think back, and I know that's real emo, of me right there but what a lonely yeah, time is. how about you what's, a, what's one of the loneliest you've i ever? was nine years old i'd born and raised in rural north missouri and uh, my dad was the county seat church pastor and at my like my kindergarten teacher went to my dad's church my first grade teacher my third grade teacher 
I was, you know, very well known in town, everybody up and down. I'd walk to school. Everybody on every house knew who I was. Then my dad moved to Kansas city mm. and at age 10 in fifth grade, uh, I ended up in Kansas city and I was surrounded by kids, but nobody knew who I was. Yeah. Nobody knew who my dad was. Nobody cared that my dad was a pastor of a church. And I felt so incredibly lonely in a crowd. I wasn't anybody in that school that knew me, wasn't anybody in the town that knew me. You know, I used to could say, yeah, my dad, you know, my dad's Harry Clifton. Oh, your dad married me. Your dad buried my dad, your dad, you know, all that stuff. Like Harry who, what? And I remember, I remember just feeling incredibly lonely for a year or two. It was a really tough transition for me. Well, and that perfectly sets us up because my loneliness comes out of small town with nobody around. Yours comes out of big city with people everywhere, but it was still isolation. There was still loneliness in that. Oh, and, yeah. and I think that helps define the fact that sometimes we feel guilty in ministry because we're like, how can I be lonely? I was with people all day long. But there's a huge difference between being around people and actually being with people. Um, mm. Before we get into that, though, let's talk about this. There, there are a couple personality types that it's all over the news now and it's all over social media between introvert and extrovert. So there, there's a there's a couple of myths, and I'm going to ask you which one you more identify with here in just a second. But uh, an introvert, people assume they, they hate people and they want to be away from them. And that's just not true. An introvert loves people just like an extrovert loves people. It's where you draw your energy from. So like an, like I personally am, am I'm an introvert. And so much so that uh, we had one of those guys come in for our staff and, and do a reading of our MBTI, right? Our study. And they said, well, you're a pastor. I've seen him on stage. He's obviously an extrovert, and it was funny. We had 40 staff and volunteers all in the room. When he said, your pastor's an extrovert, the whole room went, no, 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 no. <laughs> they, they, they all knew. <laughs> that was the, be, Because yeah. I, I love people, and I'm willing to be around them, but, man, people make me tired. That, that, that's It just takes energy. For me, uh, alone with a book and some headphones in, uh, that's where I build energy. So it, it's not about whether you like people or don't like people. It's about where you get your energy from. And an introvert gets their energy from that alone, introspective time. An extrovert gets it from being around people. And if you rob them of that, boy, they can get a little crazy. My wife is a super extrovert. And, and if she's not around people for a while, then it, it starts, it just get, you know, uh, she has, it starts to display characteristics that I've got to get her around people or, you know, I may be in danger <laughs> at some point. So uh, we want to make sure that when we talk about these terms, whether you love, uh, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, we all need people. But which one of the, where do you land on that? Or have you ever done a test on yourself? Well, I, yeah, I've done a test on myself. I, people have asked me, you know, what, what's the one thing you really, one thing you really crave in life? So that's pretty easy. I crave solitude. That's mm. what I <laughs> I just want to be alone. <laughs> I, we, we just finished building a house out here near Linwood, Kansas. And we just finished the basement of, of last week. And uh, every now and then my wife will, be looking for me in the house and she'll come downstairs the lights will be off and i'll just be sitting in a chair and she'll you all right and i go i'm perfect i'm just <laughs> down here alone in the dark it's just where I, it's where i want to be i can think i do my best thinking my best meditating my best praying i just love to be alone but you're right i can get on a stage and see and i i work with a wonderful team of guys at the north american mission board and uh, and like you I, I don't draw my energy from from people. I, I I don't I don't draw my energy from that. And so the guys I work with, you know, they know I'm if, if we if we go to a hotel, I'm generally not going to be hanging out, you know, late at night with them. And, you know, I'm going to go to the room or be alone, that kind of thing. But then when they see me get up on a platform in front of a thousand people or two thousand people. It's like a switch goes on, right? That's it. It's like, man, this is the most extroverted person I've ever seen. He just, you know, and, and it's so opposite from that. That's right. Here, I don't want to get too deep into my psyche here, but I would rather speak to 3,000 people for 30 minutes than for three people for 10. <laughs> <laughs> Amen, brother. Well, because they can't talk back. <laughs> it's just sometimes that small talk. I don't know. It just... And now I'm saying that, and then guys don't want to come up and talk to me. And I don't, I don't mean it that way. I really, I really don't. It's no. just a matter of where you're right. It's a matter of where you draw your energy from. Because you love and, those guys and, and you want to have those conversations. Yes, it's just that you that, do. And when you do that, if somebody knows you're an introvert, that should just communicate, boy, they really do care about me because they're doing the yeah. harder thing right now. This is not the easy yeah. thing for them. Yeah. Uh, as but, an, as an sorry, but as an introvert, as an introvert, I had to be very intentional. And, and my wife's very good at affirming this on me. 
you know, she said, you were really good with that guy. Cause she knows it's hard for me sometimes to do that. And, and I really work hard at it so mm-hmm. that if I'm talking to somebody, I'm really there I'm in the moment listening. I have to, I have to be focused. I have to, that is something I have to work at. It does not come naturally. Whereas in some ways, standing up in front of a thousand people, that just kind of comes naturally. And I, I don't have to really work at that. Yeah. But if I got to deal with one-on-one and so knowing who you are is really important in how you relate to people. Well, and, and that, let me, let me give you, if you can't run somebody through a test, a lot of times, almost all the time in our culture, we make pastors, preachers and preachers, pastors. And we should do a podcast on this at one point. I believe those are two separate gifts and you don't necessarily have both of them, even though in that role, you, you have to be able to do both. But if you will look, and this is, this is no scientific data. This is just 30 years in the ministry and me knowing who I am and other guys are, but you'll see a guy in that role who's a much better pastor than he is a preacher. I mean, he, oh, yeah. he gets by, but he's just a great pastor. He's probably an extrovert. And if you get a guy right. who's not a great pastor, but is just phenomenally handling the word and, and engaging, they're probably an introvert. They like that alone study time. My, uh, yep. the, when we sold uh, our building in Hutchinson and moved to another one, I stayed in that building for three and a half years by myself. It was the most wonderful office experience I've ever had in my life. When they finally sold it, I was sad upon sad <laughs> that we had that we had to do that. Um, my wife said, that, "That's not you being an introvert. That's you being a psychopath. Go be with people." Yeah. Well, and again, I don't want I don't want guys listening to this. Please come up and talk to me. Yeah. You guys talk to me. You know I want to hear you. But we have a friend who works at the North American Mission Board named Matt Mars, and oh, my, yeah. Matt is a huge extrovert he draws all of his energy from people and you know matt posted on on social media one day he said you know the worst thing about traveling alone is i have to eat alone and i posted right back the best thing about traveling alone is i get to eat alone (laughs) (laughs) yeah and you're right we have to be careful with that it became known around i've been here for 20 years this fall and it became known that andy um that he's not a great pastor we love him but he's not a great pastor if he comes to visit you at the hospital it's because you're gonna die That's what's, and I remember going to visit Miss Pat at the hospital, and I walked in the door, and she saw me, and she just yelled, "Get out!" <laughs> All right, so just understand there are myths about introvert and extrovert, but what they are is introverts and extroverts both can love people. It's just about the energy that you have. So when we talk about loneliness, it's not an intro, it's not like, boy, I wish I was an introvert so I wouldn't be lonely. That's not it at all. Loneliness, let me define it for us for our discussion. It's not about proximity to people. Like you were in Kansas City, felt just as lonely as I did on a right. street in Great Bend, Kansas. It's not about the quantity of people. You did that in a big place, um, uh, as opposed to me doing it in a small place. Uh, But it's about depth with people. Um, that, yep. that loneliness is all about having that connection. Uh, I think pastors are good at having a thousand friends, uh, but none of them you can call. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, that, yep. that, that there's no depth there in, in, and I know that friendship and, and the depth of friendship has been one of the difficulties. And, and we don't want to get into friendship today because we're going to talk about loneliness and isolation. But, but I think there's always that fear of what do they want? Is it going to turn on me? And how, how can I still be their pastor and their friend? I think that's part of the struggle, wouldn't you say? Well, and I grew up, my father was a pastor and a very successful pastor in every sense of that word. Um, but he was from a different generation, obviously. And he really felt like, the pastor couldn't show any favorites at all in the Mm. church. And so he was very cautious not to have any really close friends. He had lots of acquaintances. He was friendly to everybody. Right. Right. And everybody felt like, Hey, brother Harry really loves me. And he did, but my dad didn't have any group in the church, any group of men that were really his close friends and not because they didn't want to be. He just felt like that would show favoritism and he couldn't do it. And I saw the loneliness in my dad, that he carried all of that very much alone. There wasn't anyone he could really share that with. He didn't have a good group of friends around him. And uh, I think there are some pastors who really still feel that way. And I learned from that, and and I don't do that. I I find some guys in the church that can be my best buds, and they're my best buds. And I really do need to have have them around me and and really rely on them. Yeah, well, I I think probably some – go ahead. 
I, I say I don't think this is a theological thing we can hang our hat on, but I think it's a direction that we can look at. Jesus, who's our model for everything, right? He was with the right. disciples. And when I say disciples, I don't mean the 12. I mean the, the hundreds. We know yes. by the time they had to pick Matthias as a replacement that there were more yep. than 200 gathered, right? And he was with yep, the masses right. on top of that. But then there was the 12, and we say, so right. that was his close group. No, then there was the three. Peter, James, and John. Right. And if you were one, if you were like Andrew, wouldn't you be like Peter, James, and John? Peter, James, always Peter, James, because he was always taking them up the mountain, and he was always taking them to go see. Uh, but then or, even, or, or what if what if you were James the Less? How would you like to have that name? <laughs> that's right. Well, and then even out of the three, there was the one John was called the Beloved, and so mm-hmm. <laughs> out of all mm-hmm. those, there was one Jesus referred to as the Beloved. It's not wrong to have people that you're close to, and that, I think that's what you're getting out of the story of your dad that right. that he self limited, right. and it was tragic for his his self because he could have been able to enjoy right. some more. I totally agree. All right. Well, now let's ask the, I'm going to ask this question. How can a pastor be lonely? That's what I think a lot of people wonder. And I will tell you this, even though I love it, it's my greatest joy in ministry, whether it should be or not. I love preaching, but walking out on the stage that every single time is the loneliest moment of the week. It's when you walk out there and you're, and in my case, I'm looking at hundreds of faces, right? I have a privilege of speaking at a large church on a regular basis, but when it's just you, in a room with five, 600 other people, but you're the only one talking. It's amazing how lonely that can feel. And I can only imagine that that's amplified even more for somebody who's carrying the word and carrying that burden in a smaller congregation. Right. No, I agree. When I first went to Warner road in Kansas city, first Sunday I was there, we had 18, Mm. um, sanctuary seated 610. Um, and I know it did because the fire code occupancy sign above the door said 610, just to remind me how many didn't show up that day. <laughs> but uh, we, we, after a couple of years, we swelled to 30. And um, so, yeah, you're preaching to 30 people in a sanctuary at seat 600. It's a pretty lonely feeling, you know, like you say, anyway, standing up there all alone and, right. and really feeling the weight of sharing the good news, sharing the gospel, making sure you're doing it with, with clarity, making sure you're, you're really at a point spiritually where you confess your sin and you're, you're not sharing in your flesh. Those are all weighty issues. And then you're up there all by yourself. Right. And I think sometimes Andy, the loneliness comes in. We feel like we got to carry this thing ourselves. There were so many mm. Sundays, especially back at Warnell when it was, we were struggling to replant that place. I just felt like, man, this, the music wasn't very good. The environment wasn't very good. You know, the people weren't very happy. And we'd have some new people walk in, maybe visitors. And I feel like, okay, this is on me now. I, I got I to up my game. I got to really bring it here so that, and none of that's true. It's not on us. It's on Jesus. It's his church and he'll build it. But no, I, I have felt that. And so that loneliness we feel in that preaching moment is very, very real. It's very, very real. That second thing that you just talked about there, that uh, kind of kind of um, the, the occupation of having to carry it yourself, that's also on my list. But I call it the pastor can feel lonely because they're always on the outside. That doesn't matter how much somebody loves them or supports them or says good things. There's always just this difference that people draw a line between because of your vocation. And I, I love it. Yeah. I'd go play basketball when I was a little younger uh, with a group of guys uh, early in the morning. And it was funny. I never wanted them to know who I was because about halfway through the game, somebody would call me pastor and then everybody would stop because they'd be thinking about the language they use for the first half. <laughs> and, and and everything changed after that. And, and in some ways you're like, okay, they respect the office, maybe, but but there is a loneliness to that. Yeah, I got a great story on that. First of all, my, one of my first guys I ever worked for was a director of missions. I was a church planning leader and a catalyst, whatever, in, in, in Georgia one time. And my, uh, my boss, somebody was saying, hey, I want you to go meet this kid. He, he's helping us plant churches. I said, well, okay, I'll meet him out at the restaurant. What's he look like? And my boss said, well, he just looks like an unmade bed most of the time. So I... <laughs> I've never forgotten that. And that's kind of true. I kind of look like an unmade bed. My, my boss now, Kevin is ill. He says, Clifton looks like the guy who should set up the room, not speak to the room. So I, uh, but back at Warnell, this is a beautiful old church building in downtown Kansas city or near downtown that we were trying to replant. And it was, it, we were having uh, uh, elections. So, uh, you know, we were a polling place, right? So, Hey, we're going to open up our doors. We're going to serve coffee. And we're going to have a little sign that says, if you want to take a tour of our church, because it is a very historic building. And so that's me making that noise, isn't it? Did you hear that? I'm not hearing anything. So go right ahead. Oh, good. Very good. Anyway, 
so he's so so we did. So every time we had an election, we'd we'd have this sign that said, "Hey, we you know take go ahead and take a look at our building." And the neighbors did because many of them had never been in the building. They all lived in the neighborhood because they were voting there. So I was there to show people around. So this really, we live this is a pretty nice neighborhood, one of the highest. It's actually the highest uh, income neighborhood in Kansas City, and uh, so this guy he's got a couple of business guys with him from out of the country, and they're coming to to vote. He's going to show them how American politics works. And, and so uh, he says, we'd like to look at your building. So I said, sure, this is a true story. So I'm taking him around. I'm showing the building, showing him the pipe organ, showing him the sanctuary, talking about the history of this 100-year-old building. And the guy goes, how long have you been the janitor here? This <laughs> <laughs> is a true story. You can't make this up. I, I, I go, when you have uh, to tell me it's a true story, that, I know it's going to be a good one. <laughs> I said, I said, I'm the pastor. He goes, really? Uh, who's the lead pastor? I go, I'm the lead pastor. <laughs> he, he wasn't buying it, brother. He, <laughs> he wasn't buying it. He, <laughs> a, church that, a church that looks like this could certainly do better than you is what he was thinking. But, oh my goodness. <laughs> but yeah, but immediately, immediately everything changed. You know, before he was very casual to me talking, but when he found out I was a the pastor, they kind of like clammed up, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And everything changed. I noticed that change in them. As long as I was a janitor, they were just talking and, you know, they would even kind of talk about how they didn't like church and, you know, it's all hypocritical and all that stuff, right? That's what they were saying. Mm. And, and it's uh, respect and it's honor. And it's even where we get the term reverend from because it's yeah, reverence, yeah. but it's lonely. Yeah. It's just lonely. It is lonely. The, yeah. one, and so there was immediate immediate difference in how they treated me. That's that right. Point. Go ahead. One more. How can a pastor be lonely in the preaching every week and the always being on the outside? And then this one. Um, and, and this isn't always true, but it's by and large true by my experience. But correct me if, if this is wrong. Most of your relationships are takers with no givers. Um, that, mm. that, that they call you friend and that they love you, but, but they only get in touch when they're in crisis or have a need or want to talk about something at the church. And when, it, right. when that happens, it just feels like you're not really a person, you're a position. And that can be incredibly right. lonely. Right. It can be. And also sometimes what they need from you, you can't give them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you want to fix their marriage, right? Right there. You you want to you want their their child to to not die from this terminal disease. They come to you with these things like that, and and certainly you could offer them the hope of the gospel. You can offer them the grace of Jesus, and so I'm grateful for that. But on a human standpoint, we hurt when people hurt, right? That's right. That's right. And so we absorb that hurt in us, and we would like to fix that problem they have. And you sit there with a with a young lady whose husband has been unfaithful to her and has left her for someone else. And she's got three little children and man, you just, you just can't shake that off and go home. Right. You just can't, it just, it really gets to you. And um, I think Johnny Hunt said, if you hang out with sheep, you smell like sheep. And so you come home feeling all of those things. Mm. And again, it can just create that more of that sense of isolation and loneliness that can really weigh on us as pastors. And it doesn't matter the size of your church. That's still the case. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I think it gets worse, though. I think that every pastor deals with this, but the smaller the congregation, the potential in its weird inverse relationship, the smaller the church, the bigger these problems become. Yeah. In in rurality, loneliness is amplified as opposed to everything else. There seems to be less of it in rurality. There's more loneliness there. Than, yeah. um, than anywhere else. Yeah. That being said, I found some stats uh, from the Ministry Collaborative, and in the, the the show notes or the description, we'll put a link to this if I remember to do that so that you can see these. But let me just throw these at you, and, I, and I'd love your take on, on these. Uh, the, f- the first one doesn't have anything to do with pastoral ministry or rurality, but just this is shocking to me. It says more than a third of Americans over 45 report being lonely. Over 45 years of age, 33-plus percent say that they are lonely. What are your thoughts? I, I, I agree entirely. And you think about that in the age of social media, right, mm. where we're all connected digitally. I don't think the digital connection helps our loneliness. I think it enhances our loneliness. Mm. I think it becomes a substitute for real personal interaction in many ways. And it can make us feel even more lonely because we can see how other people are living their life, or at least how they show they're living their lives on Instagram and things like that. And we can feel like we're missing out. We don't have the relationships they have. I think it just increases it. That's just not my opinion. That's, that's been, you yeah, know, that, sociologists have, have proven that. Yeah, that's scientific so really, evidence for sure. 
Yeah, so so the whole digital age has made us seem even more uh, loneliness even more real. And uh, no, you know, back in the day, uh, always you know, you know, you're old when you keep saying back in the day. But uh, back in the day, uh, it was not unusual for for guys to to join bowling leagues of people they didn't know. I mean, back in the fifties and sixties, and even sixties and seventies, when I was a young man, you know. A lot of guys in my church were in bowling leagues and they, they would just go and sign up and, you know, you hang out for six months with five guys you never met before and you just create a social circle or, mm. or different things like that. People don't do that anymore. I mean, they really don't. There's this isolation at home where you stay at home. Of course, COVID made it infinitely worse. Right. But we are, we are very lonely. Also guys would work at, you know, an auto plant for their entire life. Well, now that's not the case. The jobs change, the companies change, people get moved around. So the stability that we used to have decades ago and community is gone. You know, you'd be raised in the same town, you'd stay there, or you raised in the same neighborhood in your, in your city and your dad would work at the same place. Maybe you'd go work there. You'd have all these relationships. You'd have extended family who live nearby you. Mm. All of that's gone. Well, and all of that has created this. Yeah. And we think that we're more connected digitally, but we're not, you know, they, I, I read a study a, a while back, um, uh, back in the day. I read a study right. uh, that said uh, even architecture harkens to loneliness. I live in a 110-year-old house, and we have this great oh. front porch, and that's where my wife and I yeah. spend all our time. New homes don't have front porches. They barely have an alcove to get in out of the rain. They have driving garages and back decks that isolate yeah. behind their privacy fence, yeah. whereas we used to yeah. sit on the front porch and wave at everybody and, and have conversations yeah. out. Now we immediately yeah. go home and hide out, and, and it's just led itself in that direction. Okay, here's no, another— absolutely. Here's another stat. Recent medical studies indicate that loneliness and social social isolation lead to raised levels of stress hormones, disrupted sleep, abnormal immune responses, and accelerated cognitive decline. Man, that's the last thing I need. A Harvard Business Review essay from 2017 <laughs> cited a study that suggests the effects of social isolation on one's lifespan is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Now, just take that in for a second. The health, uh, the, the effect of social isolation is the same to, to smoke in a pack a day. Amazing, no, I, right? I, it, that is totally amazing. And you talk about architecture. I know some of us don't live in really big houses, but I grew up in a time, and you talked about, I know you in a, either this podcast or previous, when you talked about the little house you had in Garden City, uh, I mean, I had siblings and we all shared bedrooms, right? Mm. I mean, yeah. it was a small house. We didn't have a family room. We had one living room. We were mm. all in it all the time. We could barely all fit in the kitchen. Our family was all together all the time. Anymore, a lot of times, every kid has their own room. They go to their own room. They're isolated in their room. They have, you, know, you have two or three different Man, places in your house you can all go to. So even in our houses, we're isolated. I mean, it, it used to be too. You, your grandparents lived with you. Some Some still do. But I mean, again, back in the day, you know, your grandparents came in to live with you and they just, you just made space for them. And everything was much more communal in that sense, but we value our, we value our independence. We value our space, our personal space. That's become really valuable to people. And I think that when they, we, we lose a lot in that. And oh, I man. do think we are made, listen, Andy, we are made to be in community with each other. We're Agreed. made, Jesus, God made us to be in community. And I always say we've got two families. You got your biological family. For some people, that's a real struggle. It's a, um, it just is. It's a it's a very dysfunctional thing. It's a very harmful thing for some people. For other people, it's a great thing. Mm. But we also, if we are in Christ, we have a church family, and that's where the the church can really play an amazingly important role in our 21st century culture. Is we can cultivate that community. And uh, that's another podcast we could talk about for another day. Oftentimes, we don't cultivate community. We just run programs in our church, and that doesn't really build community. Man, that's awesome. But, uh, yeah. yeah, but go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't no, no, no. That's, that's exactly what we're – I want, want to get your response to these stats. Now, let me give you one more stat before we talk about some positives, and this one is specific. Again, from the Ministry Collaborative, this is towards ministry. It says, clergy are especially vulnerable to loneliness and social isolation. Think about solo pastors. Even the term sounds isolating, doesn't it? And yet yeah, more than yeah. half of the churches in America are led by solo bivocational ministers that can feel equally isolated, uh, pulled between two spheres of work and community, but not fully experiencing a sense of belonging in either. Even clergy and large multi-pastor churches can feel uh, siloed in their work and disconnected from colleagues and congregants. And there it is, scientific data, the, a report saying that in ministry, small or large, uh, in, in full-time or bivo, 
the, the stresses of those, it's just a cultural thing. It leads us to this isolation. And when we started this podcast, we said that one of the three big concerns of those in rurality is isolation. So we can't shake it off as a grow up, suck it up. Uh, it'll be okay. No. You know, Paul had it worse. Uh, that, that's not what we should do. <laughs> uh, that that we that we need to approach. That's, that's, this. That should be that should be your next book. Paul had it worse. <laughs> suck it up. Paul had it worse. That'd be that was. <laughs> I am pressed but not crushed, persecuted not abandoned, pressed down but not destroyed. Yeah. Oh, See, when I sing, good. remember that old song that, that we used to sing that in, Trade My Sorrows? Yes, all about, I, I, do. I used to think I as I'm singing that song, that'd kill me. I, do. <laughs> <laughs> I know Paul said that, but that'd kill me. Uh, so uh, here, here's what we need we need friends, we need camaraderie, we need oh, basically what, what, what you said earlier. Let me put in different terms Christianity itself, especially ministry, is a team sport. You cannot yes. read scripture without seeing that. It is a team sport. You'll know that, the, I'll know that they are Christians by their love for one another. There has to be, yeah. and that's not that. Yeah. No, I love everybody. It, listen, if you love everybody, you don't love anybody. Because, right. because because you don't understand what that word means. Uh, right. Acts chapter 9, verse 27. I love this verse. Now, Acts chapter 9, the apostle uh, Paul, who was Saul, bad dude, right? He gets converted. And then at the end of the chapter, it says, But Barnabas took him, Saul, and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And then we see a pattern started. You see, yep. Saul was on the outside. He couldn't get in, but Barnabas got him in. And then it was yep. Barnabas uh, and Silas and then Timothy. And and we have this litany of people that Paul partnered with. You never see Paul doing anything alone. Somebody's always with him or no. he's sending somebody out. And that has yep. to be the model for us. So let, let's start down the road here on some fixes. I have some things, and if you want to add to it, feel free. But first of all, ministry is a team sport. And that means even if you're bivo and and everybody in your congregation is a is a recent convert, doesn't matter. Disciple as you go. Never make a hospital visit alone. Never make an in home visit alone. Uh, n- never sweep the church alone. But disciple as you go and make sure that you are relating to people uh, as you are a part in, in whatever you do in ministry. Is that a, is that a fair expectation even for a bivo pastor? I think it really is. And some of the times the guys you take with you could be older teenagers. I think we yeah. miss that a lot. I really do. I think if you like 16, 17 year old guys at want to spend time with a, with you that you want to disciple them man, bring them with you on a hospital visit, let them see how you do that. Yeah. And, uh, one of the greatest things you can do at that point is after they do that for a few times, say, Hey, you know, would you pray with them too? And if you feel like comfortable, they can do that. You'll just see them begin to grow in the Lord and grow in that. I, I had some older men do those kinds of things in my life. It really impressed me when they trusted me with stuff like that. and made mm. me sort of just want to man up and be that kind of guy. So, yeah, I, I think absolutely find ways to do that. If you got some guys that just want to hang out with you, just say, hey, man, I'm going to a conference down here and, you know, wherever, a few miles away, a couple of hours away. You want to ride with me? You'll be surprised. They'll say, sure, man, I'll ride with you. And you got two hours there with them to talk to them and get to know them and, you know, and we talked earlier, if you're an introvert, do it anyway. So. That's right. <laughs> Suck it up. Paul had it worse. Paul had it worse. That's right. <laughs> you know, on that issue of the intergenerational, we, we have churches that are multi-generational and cross-generational, but that intergenerational where you're working together at the same task. Yeah. There's a great Barna stat from years ago uh, that, that still holds true today. M- might have adjusted a little, but something like eight or nine out of uh, ten students who grew up in the church will leave the church within the first two to three years after graduating. But the one commonality of the 10 to 20% who remain, the one commonality of the 10 to 20% who remain is that they had one or more adult relationships in the church that were not their parents. Yeah. In that crazy, yeah. it, it, oh. it was yeah. the pastor, it was the deacon, it was the Sunday school teacher who, who took them on the trip and who said, Hey, come do the hospital. Because yeah. they had that individual relationship. That's what led to the generational, um, ongoing of the church. I think that's, let me, let me give you a solid example of that. Back in the seventies, we had the bus ministry and the church where my father was the pastor. Right. So all of us teenagers worked on the bus ministry, right? So every Saturday we would go out with these guys and we would knock on doors and, you know, and offer candy to kids and you can't do that anymore. You get arrested, but you know what I mean? <laughs> and then we'd, and then we'd say, Hey, come follow us. Uh, and then on Sunday we'd pick the kids up, but here's the deal, Andy. 
those teenagers worked every Saturday and every Sunday with lay adults, men and women who worked with those kids. Here we are 40 years later. Those teenagers all are grown like me and have kids. They're all still in church. Mm-hmm. And I, I really do believe a lot of that has to do with the fact that they didn't just spend their teenage years going to skating parties and, and pizza places and, and lock-ins at the church, but they had older men and women 100%. who invested in them and, they, and modeled for them. And I, I think one of the, I know in my own personal life, one of the real benefits of that bus ministry was what it did to those teenagers who every weekend worked Saturday and Sunday with lay men and women who were the age of their parents or their grandparents. Oh. I think I just, that's a, that's another podcast for another day, but that was really powerful. Yeah. I, I would love to do something on intergenerational ministry and how, how important that is. But here, here's a second one. What are some more fixes, some just easy fixes to eliminating some loneliness? How about intentional openness and not necessarily accountability? Uh, you know, that's, that's another topic as well, but, but just right. the intentional openness. One of the things I had our location pastors do is I said, every one of these small towns has a Dunkin' Donut or a Daylight Donut. Yeah. Or, a, or a gathering spot, that third place in the community. Uh, I want you to pick one day a week and make sure you're not in the office, but that you just hang out there. Well, do you want us doing a Bible study? Do you want us doing outreach? Nope. I just want you hanging out there. And I want you to let it be known that you're there for people to come hang out with you. Well, I didn't realize it, but I had them do that for a season. Uh, and that was years ago. I've got guys still doing it. Uh, and and they're doing it because they went oh there's huge value in this this just and, and it was for them that that value was yeah and and finding ways to to be known and be seen on a regular basis by the same people every day and begin to talk to them and develop relationships with them within the town within the community is is vitally important and I, I think oftentimes pastors we have a tendency to just pull away. We're busy doing our, like we talked about in the previous podcast, we're staying very busy doing church things and you really need to be out there connecting and engaging with people and developing some relationships and friendships. You have to be intentional about it. You really have to work at it. And yet when you do, it is entirely worth it. The payback Amen. is incredible for it. I mean, that, the investment it takes to get it started is real, but the payback is far greater than the investment it takes to get it going. Well, and we know this by just, um, what, what do they call that, assimilation uh, studies in church, that people will come to a church because they heard about good preaching or they want to hear a new style of worship or you got a program. People only stay in a church if there's relationships. I mean, we're relationship-driven people, uh, and, and that is the same not only for the congregant but for the leader of that congregation. And because of that, you, you just mentioned a, a ton of good ways to do things with people on the job to be accessible. But then here's a third come off the job with others regularly. Now, you and I, being introverts, we will want to be alone for some of that. We need to recharge. But there have to be times when you go to the bowling league. And by the way, I was heavily under conviction when you talked about because uh, <laughs> we bought the bowling alley and turned it into a church. So we ruined that. You ruined that. We you ruined did. But, but like for me in my world, um, uh, camping, man, uh, and, and trailer people yeah. are good people, right? right. So, uh, you know, right. like right. We're, right now, my trailer is set up. I had to come into town to do this. It's out of town, and we're parked a couple slots down away from a coworker, one of our worship pastor. And in between us, there are two other Crosspoint families that, uh, that are there. We love that, coming off the job, sitting around a campfire, doing something else. I love playing disc golf with guys. You love bluegrass. <laughs> With, right, with, right. With so people. we go, to, we go to, I do. We go to bluegrass uh, festivals all the time, and and I go to bluegrass festivals because when I look at the other people at the festivals, I feel young and athletic, and so it makes me feel really good because it's all. <laughs> It's all older, big people. <laughs> Wait, I, I was putting the pieces together there, and then I did the mental took, picture. It took a while. About, yeah. No, but, but, you know, the thing is, when I'm at a bluegrass festival, right, they don't know I'm a pastor. Not that I keep that secret or anything, but that's not the first thing off the top. We just said, I just said, I get to talk to people and visit with people. Of course, it, it comes out, obviously, that I am. But but that's not the connecting point. And, and the connecting point is that we have something in common with the music we like. And just develop great relationships and friendships, and and it just and, and same thing. I collect other things. I collect uh, I collect insulators, telephone insulators. I know that's weird, but I those do. glass tops and, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I, those uh. glass tops. Oh my my, I know my, my, I got some more the other day. And she goes, "How many of those are you going to have?" And I said, "That's that's yet to be determined." But um, <laughs> <laughs> I got them all over the place. But I, I go to 
I go to insulator shows. Okay, I'm a strange guy. They have they have regional insulator <laughs> shows. They have national insulator <laughs> shows. Right. So I, this I, is I, news to me. I had no idea that was a thing that was happening. <laughs> so it is. It is a thing. And so I go. I go to insulator shows. And when I go to insulator shows, you walk into this place and immediately. You, you are part of the family because you mm. know insulators, you like it, you talk insulators and all. And I think, it, you know, that that's it's a cool experience for me because I get to be, you know, I get to make some friends across the country and even like here locally that like to collect insulators and that kind of thing. But I also think about the fact sometimes people are more friendly at these insulator shows and the bluegrass shows than they are when somebody walks oh, into our church. That's right. That's another topic for another day. And, you but, know, yeah. as you're saying this, some people may be, I know that there's a guy or two out there and you're thinking, this is just stupid. We got to be about the gospel. And well, yes, but let me quote Ben Mandrell, Lifeway CEO, um, that uh, I heard him say at Midwest Advance just this last February, pastors without interests are not interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the reason that you're lonely and isolated is because all you do is talk shop, and right. uh, and I thought that was powerful. That was just absolutely yeah. powerful, and it completely validated all the stupid little things I like to do. So that's why I yeah. agreed with yeah, that. me too. It gives me all all the hobbies. <laughs> it does. It, it keeps you connected to people in the real world, and not just sealed yourself off in this little cocoon, which you can do. And then you get all lonely and isolated and all that kind of stuff. It also helps you helps you develop your interpersonal skills. All of those things are good. Jesus will use all of those to shape you into the pastor that he needs you to be. And then you, I can be a pastor to people at bluegrass concerts. I can be Amen. a pastor to the guys in the, in the circle of insulator collectors or whatever, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's, it's an opportunity just to take your ministry wherever God has you take it. But, again— some of you guys listening, you really need to be intentional about building relationships, maybe even outside of the church, so that you can have some friendships because isolation is absolutely deadly. It's what Satan, he will use it. The first thing that will happen to you in isolation is he'll really come at you with discouragement and depression. And um, mm. I, 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 I personally have to battle those things in my life on an ongoing basis, and when, I, when they come to me, the first thing I want to do is isolate myself. And that's the worst thing I can do at that moment. And mm. Again, maybe we can talk about that in another podcast. Boy, if you're but, willing, I would love to make that a yeah, whole, whole I, episode. I, 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 yeah, we can, because I, I, I do. I battle it constantly. But I know I have to battle it by not being alone and not isolating myself. And I have to work very hard at staying connected to people in times like that. And you have to make those you know, decisions you, you, ahead of time, don't you? You do. And you know, one of the reasons you know you're going through discouragement and depression is when you find reasons to get out of meetings. You find reasons to get out of going mm. out being with people. And you just, it, there's, there's a whole other story there. But yeah, but well, we've got to work on that. Man, we got so much content to cover in the coming weeks. This will be great. By the way, you and I are getting longer every podcast. So apparently we're getting more comfortable with this. But we, we still, we I know, still, but we, but we, but we got to worry. We got to work on that. We, we can't, we, we can't yeah, just we, go on in depth. We, we, we don't want to, uh, to ruin y'all's uh, day by, by too much information. Information. So just hit pause and, and come back to us if you need. That's but right. we, we have right. one last fix that I want to get to because I think it's super important is that um, uh, a, a way to combat isolation is ministry being a team sport, intentional openness, coming off the job with others, and then quit competing with other pastors and start connecting with them. Quit seeing uh, <laughs> territoriality and, and start oh, yes. actually enjoying them. Like I, every Wednesday morning, uh, have coffee in our community. Uh, there are 87 churches in our community of about 40,000 people. But the truth is, if you took those churches and their seating capacity, we've actually done the study, and they each had two services, we still couldn't get half of Hutchinson in those churches. There's no need to compete. Uh, they're, they're, we don't have enough seating capacity for the cities that we're in already. So quit, quit, uh, worrying and being suspect of the other ministers in town, uh, and just get some friends, allow them no. into your friend circle. Yeah. Listen, there is never anything that is edifying about comparing yourself to the size of other church congregations. Nothing, nothing good comes from that at all. Mm. And nothing good comes from a competitive nature. You know, when uh, the church in Jerusalem was going through bitter, bitter, bitter persecution, had lost Stephen and the leadership had all fled. You know, you talk about losing members. I mean, you can imagine this is the mother church. This is the trunk church of all churches, mm. the church in Jerusalem. I mean, James, the brother of Jesus, is leading this church, and it's it's really struggling and having a hard time, and people are leaving. It's probably going down in numbers because of the dispersion and 
and the persecution, and they send the best they have to this place in Antioch that is nothing like Jerusalem, and the best they have rejoices when God chooses to bless someplace else rather mm. than Jerusalem. Amen. So can can you rejoice when God chooses to bless the church across the town and not yours? Mm-hmm. I think that's when you find real joy in the kingdom and real joy in the gospel. And uh, so I think there's something to be learned from that. We we sometimes we resent it when other churches are doing better than we are. That is not the Holy Spirit did not put that in your heart. Trust me. But if you can celebrate it, then you're also opening yourself up to relationship. You're, you're no yes. longer cordoning that off and saying, well, I can't be friends with them because they, they must compromise the gospel to grow. or they must right. grow. Uh, but, but you can say, wow, maybe I can learn from them. Maybe I can actually have a relationship there. And, and that's the yep. whole point. Now, in all of these, one of the goals of the Rural Pastor Podcast is we want to create an environment. We hope that the website, we hope actually the way you and I are doing these uh, podcasts, we're hoping sounds like a, a, a dining room table conversation that we're inviting you to be a part of. But in the future, we're going to uh, have cohorts and and gatherings and we're looking forward to going above and beyond matter of fact next week we're going to talk about a resource that you can connect with but but the issue with intentionality is go ahead and on the website for the ruralpastorpodcast.com you can sign up for uh, regular updates and then be prepared to maybe meet up uh, online with some of some other guys to 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 willfully and intentionally combat this loneliness and isolation and speaking of that a concluding verse for us that uh I've picked just for this topic is from Isaiah 41 10 says, fear not for I'm with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I just want it to seep into your heart, to sink into your mind, to, to wash over your lives that even if you can't fix a thing relationally with another person today, you are not alone because of all the eyes in that passage. God says, I will, I will, I will, I will. He is with you and will be your righteous, will be, will uphold you with his righteous right hand. So that's the goal. Amen. Any last words from you, Mark, on this issue of isolation? Oh, man, it's all Hey, yeah, it's hard. It's difficult. But I tell you what, you can find Jesus has relationships out there for you. He will create those if you will just listen to him, follow him, and stay engaged in him. And and I remember a guy named Charles Cheney years ago. He used to be the president of Southwest Baptist University. He was the vice president of the home mission board when I worked there as a young man. And Charles used to always say this to me. He'd say, Clifton, relationships empower people. And so we just really need to be in relationships with each other. So good and so needed. And we can't skip it. We all often put ourselves and our self-care to the back. And this is just one place that scripturally we can't do it. You're not going to make it on your own. God bless you guys. Thank you for joining us. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about the third in the, the trifecta of issues in rurality. We're going to talk about low resources. Uh, but between now and then, thank you so much, Mark. Thank you, North American Mission Board, the Replant Team, and 180 Digital Media for helping make the RuralPastorPodcast.com a real thing. We'll see you soon. You're not alone. Like the prophet Jeremiah, you may be the one to go to the dying and the broken with a message of hope. To that church on the corner, that forgotten little town, to a room of empty pews where his love can still be found. You may never know of all the seeds you've sown But it just takes one willing soul to make him known